the stupidest thing I ever heard. I never was one to watch horror movies. They always did seem a might bit silly to me. Man wolves running around the wilderness, river people with gills in their necks, serial killers with chainsaws. I get that a lot of people love that kind of stuff, but all I ever saw was rubber masks and plot holes. To me, there are plenty of real-life things to be worried about. Will we sell enough crop to make it through the winter? Would the pregnant cow breach? Would Daddy ever get busted by the feds? That was more frightening than some crazy fool trying to chop my head off with a machete. Daddy had about a bazillion guns anyway. Anything like that ever tried to come at us? Well. But there was one movie that freaked me way out. Salem's Lot. Daddy took me to the Virginian's Dollar Theater to see it. Against his better judgment, he claimed. It's kind of cheesy, man. Do you really want to go? I was ten and all my friends at school had seen it when it first came out. So I was bound and determined not to be the only one who hadn't. Cheesy. Brittany Grayson says she was like about to soil herself it was that scary. Yeah, well, that don't surprise me none. Her daddy's the same way. So can we go, daddy? Sure, I guess. And that was that. To understand how special this was to me, you have to understand how often daddy actually took me to the movies, which is to say never. It wasn't the money, but the distance that seemed to bother him the most. He liked movies to a degree, but he wasn't all that much into them. If we did get to go, it was usually a second-run show. I didn't see Close Encounters until 10 years after it came out. Same with E.T. and Back to the Future. So for us to see Salem's Lot less than a year after its original run, well, that was more than a treat. I dressed to the nines for the event. My experience with the Sexy 7 did have some kind of positive effect. Came downstairs in a summer dress and flats, had my hair all curled up, even put lipstick on. I had a disposable camera left over for some birthday party or another that still had five pictures left on it, and I let it dangle from one wrist and held a little black purse in the other. Daddy took one look at me and one look at what he was wearing, which was what he always wore, an old pair of jeans with a rip in the knee, a faded green flannel, and a baseball cap, and said, Oh, that's okay, Daddy. It ain't like we ever go out together or nothing. He was already heading back up to his room. I ever tell you how much you remind me of your mother? No. Well, you certainly got her sharp tongue. He spiffed up the best he could. He was still wearing his baseball cap when he came back down, but at least he put on a white collarless button-up that he tucked into a pair of khakis. Daddy wasn't a fat man, but he wasn't an athlete neither, and his belly pushed out over his belt. These pants get tighter and tighter every year, he said. Or you got fatter. That's the tucked-in shirt doing that. False advertising. Did you say fat-vertising? I'm sorry. Did you say you actually wanted to see this movie, little girl? I zipped it after that. Daddy had a good sense of humor, but he could be a mite touchy about his weight. I remember everything about that night so clearly. The Virginians wasn't exactly known for its luxurious trappings. It was a second-run theater after all, but I guess you could say that the freshest thing about it was the popcorn. The floors were sticky, and the seats squeaked, and the cushions poked my butt, but that didn't seem to bother me one bit. Once the lights went down and the projector clicked to life, I was totally entranced. It was a humdinger of a flick. Now that I think about it, Daddy was probably right, and 
The movie was a bit cheesy, but I was ten and I'd never seen nothing like it. It really melted my glue. There was one scene in particular, the one when Danny Glick came floating up to his best friend Mark Petrie's window and demanded to be let in. Damn near gave me a heart attack. Couldn't sleep with the window open for a month afterward. Daddy tried to comfort me about it in his way. That's to say he teased me. First of all, Amanda, you gotta make friends to worry about something like that happening to you. Ha ha, Daddy. Seriously, though, do you really think a silly little cross would be able to get rid of a monster? That's just a whole bunch of flapdoodle, if you ask me. But vampires are evil, and the cross is from heaven. Nah. Best way to stop a vampire is throw a poppy seed bagel at it. Excuse me? Vampires ain't supposed to be sexy immortals in stylish capes. They're supposed to be disgusting monsters. Long fingernails and bucktooth fangs. Oh. Wasn't no religious symbol that got rid of them neither. Nope. Anybody who wanted to kill a vampire had to lop off its head or stake it through the heart. Were those stakes made out of bagels? No, smart aleck, they weren't. See, legend has it that if you threw a whole bunch of poppy seeds at a vampire, it'd get distracted by counting them all and you could slip away. I didn't know what a pregnant pause was at that time in my life, but that's exactly what I did. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. Stupider than two pieces of wood scaring off a monster just by holding them up? I had to think about that one for a second, but in the end, I decided I was right. Yeah, I said. Stupider than that. I guess you're wondering why I remembered that particular detail. One morning in early April, me and Timmy Carter went out to where that tree had blocked the stream. We were going to chop it up and use the wood for the stove and such. When we got out there, we saw the stream had flooded the surrounding woods, but the bed was still dry. I thought to myself, huh, this is how lakes have started. Then I hopped up on the trunk and said, we need to start at either end, Timmy Carter. Start in the middle and, what's that noise? He asked. What noise? Listen. I cocked my head and sure enough I heard it, gurgling and glurping. Sounded like the water was draining or moving or something. I felt the thrumming in my feet and then a hole opened up in the middle of the trunk and water shot out of it, blasting Timmy Carter full on in the chest. It knocked him about two feet back and flat on his behind. He rolled out of the bed, spitting and sputtering and crawled up on the bank like a half-drowned horse. When I got done laughing, I said, damn, Timmy Carter, you okay? He nodded and burped and we watched the water shoot out of the hole. You know what? I said, I bet we could use this. The water? Yeah, I know. No, I mean, yeah, for drinking and such, but this might be a long shot, Timmy Carter. But do you know anything about hydroelectricity? I was a bouncer at a nightclub. I studied the water jetting downstream. It had formed a nice flow by this point. We need us an engineer, I said. Worst case scenario, we could build us a water wheel. You up for something like that? You mean other than all the planting? Didn't you say we should clear a new field? Yeah, I did say that. Maybe this could be a side project. Timmy Carter sighed. I knew what he was thinking. Working a farm ain't no joke. The planting alone is enough to bust a back or two, even with gas-powered tractors and harvesters and other equipment. We had to do it primitive, by hand. Food bank, that's what we named Annie O's horse, helped. A lot. Lucky tribe, but she was too much of a princess to be much good for anything. So we could only use her for little projects and chicken stuff before she balked and outright refused to do anything anymore. I often found myself wishing for a mule or an ox, and believe me, we'd searched all our neighbors' barns. But the Max and the Highs had emptied most of them of their precious cargo. And other than a few chickens and wily cats and one ornery sow, we didn't find much in the way of useful farm animals. I stared at that stream for a long, good look. There has to be a way, I thought. And that's how I found myself in Maurice 
holding a wide mouth mason jar of BBs and crying my eyes out. It was just a little thing, but it was enough to stoke the engine of grief that always seemed to be chugging along in my chest, sometimes slow and sluggish, and sometimes, like right then, redlining hot and hard. I looked at the label on the jar. Peaches. Daddy used to say they were my favorite when I was a baby. That just made me cry harder. The BBs were just one jar among many that Daddy had carefully organized on his workbench, each one containing a specific size of nail or screw or bolt or washer. It was positively German in its precision, and after I got over being impressed by his thoroughness, and after I wiped the tears away, I began to wonder about the many hours he stood out there planning and separating and plinking little pieces of metal into little glass jars, one after the other. I'd like to be driven crazy by it, but I could see how he took himself a measure of calm from the activity. I was thinking about all that when I heard a shout outside, followed by cries of dismay, and I jammed the jar into the front pocket of my jeans and hurried out the sliding door to see what was going on. A group had surrounded someone sitting on the front porch of the house. Timmy Carter was kneeling next to whoever it was, and when I finally cleared my way through, I saw it was Frankie, the cute little girl who had just joined our steadily growing group a few weeks before. I already mentioned how Timmy Carter had taken a shine to her, and judging by the way he was holding her hand and by the way she was gazing at him, I believe that shine was reciprocated, which was both disconcerting and comical at the same time. Disconcerting, because I'd never thought about Timmy Carter that way. Comical, because they were a study in physical juxtaposition. Timmy Carter stood himself over six feet tall and was built like a tank. Frankie stood maybe five foot three and weighed a hundred pounds soaking wet. I heard the tail end of what she was saying as I pushed through the group. Came up behind and bit me! She was covering her neck with her hand, and I could see the blood running through her fingers. Most of us were still slogging around in the same jeans and long sleeve shirts we'd been wearing the previous fall. Frankie, however, wasn't having none of that nonsense. She was a cute little thing, that much I'll admit, and I could see why someone would be attracted to her. When she showed up on the farm, she was wearing designer jeans that hugged her hips and thighs, and a shirt that did the same to her top half. Had nearly every man on the farm drooling over her from that moment on. And since then, the weather got even warmer. Unusually warm for that time of year, if you ask me. And humid. Felt more like late summer than late spring. Like August was tired of being a Leo and picked up stakes to live as a Taurus. Frankie adjusted her wardrobe accordingly. Wearing shorts that seemed to have no other purpose than to barely cover her panties. And a tight tank top that hugged pretty much every curve she had like it was grafted onto her skin. Sitting there, surrounded by all the testosterone she could possibly want, she looked like she'd been waiting for this moment her whole life. Timmy Carter said, let me see it. Okay, but be careful. The way she said that, all tremulous and timid, made me want to scoop out the inside of my skull. She caught me rolling my eyes and narrowed hers. Timmy Carter pulled her fingers aside and she sucked in her breath. But other than a mess of smeared blood, there wasn't much wound to speak of. You sure it bit you? I asked. Yes. Doesn't look like much of a bite. Didn't feel like one, to be honest. Felt like two bee stings. Bee stings? I leaned in closer to get a look. Frankie was none too pleased about it, because when I leaned in, she leaned back. Stop moving, let me see it. The blood had already dried, so I pulled my canteen off my belt, unscrewed the cap, and poured some onto her neck, and she hissed as I scrubbed it clean. And then I could see him. Two pinprick punctures in her neck. She pushed me away. Okay, you're done. Who did this? Wasn't no who in the equation, sweetie. It was an it. Don't call me, sweetie. Whatever. You talking about a Mac? That what bit you? Is that what you call him? Max? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, it was a Mac. But it was worse than I'd ever seen one before. Skinny and drawn, emaciated. 
emaciated means, I know what emaciated means. Where did this happen? I don't know. Out in the field. Which field? Where? She waved her hand all around. Pick one. It's important. She stared at me. Was it up on a hill? Over there past the stream? Yeah, actually. How far? A mile? Two? About, yeah. What were you doing out there all by yourself? I don't know. I just needed some air. I just wanted to take a walk. What do you care, anyway? I must have looked stricken, because Timmy Carter said, What is it, Amanda? Frankie, you sure about this? I asked. Pretty sure. Pretty sure or certain? I'm certain, okay? Why? What's the big deal? Was there an old building out there, burned down? Yeah, now that you mention it, there was an... I finished her sentence for her. Old Iron Gate out in the middle of nowhere. Most of the guys had dispersed by that point, having been bored to tears by any situation that didn't include Frankie needing help. I looked over my shoulder in the direction of the stream, thinking. Then out of nowhere, another voice, thin and hesitant, broke the silence. Church. We looked at the front door where it came from, and there stood the girl. She looked better than before, but her hair was still long and stringy, and she still had that haunted, hollow-eyed stare. Church, Frankie said. What's that supposed to mean? She's talking about the burned-down building, I said. It used to be a church. First Country Baptist. Got firebombed by the KKK in the 60s. Frankie suddenly understood what I was getting at. Maybe she wasn't so dumb after all. So the field I was in, with the gate, that was a good graveyard, the girl said. Graveyard. The old First Country Baptist Church site was about two miles west of the house. If there weren't any hills to climb or woods to navigate, and if there weren't creeks to cross or bogs to avoid, it would have taken us maybe 45 minutes to get there. But creeks and bogs and woods abounded in the Spotsylvania wilderness, and it took us a better part of an hour to finally make it to the site. Timmy Carter came along, of course, and so did Frankie. I tried to talk her out of it, citing her delicate condition, but the girl was tougher than I gave her credit for. What are you, 16, 17? 17. I'm not going to let a teenager tell me what I can and can't do. What are you, 23, 24? You're not that much older than me. Timmy Carter snorted and Frankie gave me a crooked smile, saying, Oh, sweetie, you ever hear of a backhanded compliment? The girl followed us, too, keeping a careful distance. Frankie kept looking back over her shoulder at her, and whenever she did, the girl stopped where she was and wouldn't make eye contact. What's with the crypt keeper back there? Frankie asked. She's been through a trauma. Yeah, no kidding. She tromped off ahead of us through the woods, and Timmy Carter came up next to me. Am I missing something, Timmy Carter? She's nice to me, he said. You bring out her bad side. Well, that's not my fault. Gene competition. It was the girl. Now that Frankie was gone, she seemed more relaxed. What's that? Timmy Carter asked. She frowned at him like he should have understood and walked away. You thinking what I'm thinking? He asked. About what? About them bites on Frankie's neck? I hope not. Be serious. What did it? 
It was a mank. No, I think it was something worse. You trying to tell me it was a vampire? You saw the bite. It drew blood, didn't it? I looked up at the sun steadily rising in the sky. Yeah, Timmy Carter said. Sun's out, I know. Timmy Carter, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if vampires started showing up out of nowhere. We got aliens, zombies, and now, I gestured at the back of the girl as she picked her way through the woods in front of us, banshees. Is that what she is? Who knows? We walked in silence for the next half hour, finally emerging from the woods at the base of the hill where the old First Country Baptist Church used to stand. Frankie was waiting for us there, and the girl was wandering around and sniffing the air with her eyes closed. Even though it was spring, the hill seemed dead and dormant. A cloud covered the sun, casting our shadows on the dead grass. I'd seen pictures of the church before and after the KK burned it down, and both of them didn't do nothing but make the place look creepy and creepier. Picture one, an old black and white, faded with time, depicting the congregation standing on the lawn. This was not a sprightly bunch. Their faces were flat and serious, and they all stared at the camera as if they would push the weight of history through the lens and onto our shoulders. Picture two, taken at night. The church was burning brightly behind two white-sheeted forms. Between them was the lower half of a naked black body hanging from a makeshift scaffold. Every time I came across a hill in my many wanderings around the Spotsylvania countryside, I thought of the second picture. Sometimes I imagined what it was like before it happened, whether I could sit at the bottom of the hill and see the top of the cross on the steeple jutting out into the sky, whether I could hear the choir singing or the soaring voice of the minister, the shouts of children playing after the service, the bell pealing the promise of a new chance to worship. What's she doing? Frankie asked. She was looking at the girl, who was still sniffing the air. Her eyes were open now, and they batted back and forth, just like they'd done when I first spoke to her in that cave a few months before. Beats me, I said. I trudged up the hill, drawing my gun. We were low on ammo, and a recent trip out to Blues proved fruitless. Place was gutted. To be honest, I wouldn't have been surprised if Blue had done it himself, cleared out all his guns and ammo, and lit off for some underground bunker he'd been preparing for just such an occasion as what the hive afforded the world. But then I found what looked like a smear of blood on the floor in his office in the back. And there were dark footprints in the dust on the floor. And something told me that these signs and symbols portended a grimmer fate for Daddy's old friend. Because of that, I only had three bullets left. The old church sat like an empty shell atop the hill. A stiff wind blew over the trees, and the rusty graveyard gate squeaked in the distance. The grass in the front had grown tall from years of neglect, but I found the depression where Frankie had been attacked easy enough. The stalks were pressed down in two directions, one leading away from the church, one toward it. Anybody bring their garlic and holy water? I joked. I turned around to smile at Timmy Carter, and when I did, I saw a dark form pushing through the tall grass to his right. I started to shout his name, but it was too late. Whatever it was, jumped into the air and took him out. I ran to the spot where he'd been, but he was gone. Frankie was spinning in place, saying, no, 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 no. Then the black form shot out again and took her down, too. I did the only thing I could think of. I ran. There's an old military corpse that he used to exhume pretty much every time he thought it applied. Let's see if I can remember it. Hmm. Oh, yeah. More your craft higher than the enemy. That's what it was. The art of war, I think. I never read it, but that had repeated it so many times that it stuck in my brain. As we climbed yet another tree to sit in a blind for a thousand hours. More your craft higher than the enemy. As we fixed the bird feeder with the squirrel-proof domes. More your craft higher than the enemy. As we stored sacks of flour and nuts and other edibles on the high shelf of the pantry. More your craft higher than the enemy. Probably said it to me while he was changing my diapers, though I'm not sure how that would have helped. So did I hightail it for the homestead? Try to outrun my clearly superior powered enemy on foot? 
course not. I ran for the bombed-out shell of the First Country Baptist Church. Had to be something I could climb in there to gain the advantage. Maybe there was a chair or a table still left. Maybe there was a, uh, uh, I don't actually know what might have been left in the church because I'd never been to church. Just wasn't in the family. Not that I was actually thinking all that. I had just about reached the threshold of the church when that feeling I got before, the one when me and the girl took out hangnail, filled my body. Something in my gut urged me to stop, and I planted my front leg and dragged my back leg and skidded to a halt. A blur shot in front of me, crashed into what remained of the door frame, and tumbled a dozen feet into the old building where it lay in a heap, still and quiet. I guess I didn't need the high ground after all. I raised my gun and moved forward carefully, well aware that it could be a trap crunching over old glass, kicking moldy beer cans out the way. And then I was standing right over it, or him, because it was a boy. He was lying on his stomach, naked, his long blonde hair tangled and dreadlocked, spilling over his back and shoulders. I nudged one dirty calf with the toe of my boot, but he didn't move. Hey, get up! He didn't. I heard something scrape behind me and I whirled around, gun out. But it was just a crow, skittering around in the debris. Get out of here, old man, I snapped. And when I turned back around, the blonde boy was on his feet, already lunging for me, arms out. I fired off two shots and he hit me and my gun went flying and both of us went down. My foot got caught under some of the old subfloor and I felt a pinch in my leg. The one Ruth Grace Hogg broke with her field hockey stick. Oh no, I thought. And then my head hit the ground and a piercing whine filled my head. I tried to sit up, but the boy was slung over my body. And even though he looked like he only weighed about a buck ten, it was distributed across my legs and chest, so I had to scoot out from under him, all while minding my leg because I was 50% sure I'd done something bad to it again. Blood stained my clothes. I hoped it wasn't mine. I had a feeling it wasn't. I managed to get to my feet and try out my leg. It hurt to put weight on it, but it didn't feel broken. At least it didn't feel like the first time I broke it. N no! It was the girl. She was standing a few feet away, staring at the boy lying face down in the rubble. Her eyes were filled with dread and heartbreak. Mm, mm, she said. She looked at me and I felt a powerful hatred vibrating from her body. I held out my hand saying, hey, 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 as I backed up. Shadows shuffled out of the corners of the church and then I saw them. More kids, my age or a little older, naked with long matted hair obscuring their faces and covering their bodies, at least a half dozen. I drew daddy's knife as they fanned out in a circle and I felt the heat of a dozen plus eyes zooming in on me. That strange icy feeling filled my belly again, and the power thrummed between us. I wasn't no dummy. I saw what happened to Hangnail. I knew what was going to happen to me next. Don't, I said. They cinched the noose. I hopped around in a circle, lunging at them with the knife. They all reached for me as one, and the first burst of power seized my frame and my arms and legs shot out, paralyzed. It was like metal rods had been inserted into my bones. My teeth clenched together and my eyes clamped shut. I'd never experienced such a combination of fear, pain, and exhilaration in my life. Another jolt shot through me, and my arms flew down to my sides, ramming into my thighs, and something popped in my front pocket, followed by a metallic tinkling sound, and I thought, Daddy's BBs. Then I thought, that's the stupid last thought to have. I waited for the end, for the energy to swell inside of me and to burn me to a crisp. And I waited, and waited, and waited. Slowly, I realized that the metal rods were no longer holding my arms, and that the power, the pain, and the adrenaline were gone. I thought, wait a minute, why aren't I dead yet? I opened my eyes. I was standing on the ground, safe and sound, and when I looked around me, 
Remember when I told you about the stupidest thing I ever heard? This was even stupider. All them Macs, because that's what they were. I knew it now. Macs straight from the belly of the hive itself. Maybe not evil Macs. Maybe not even the kind that we hunted down and killed, piled up and burned last fall. But Macs of a kind. There were all of them staring at Daddy's BBs that had spilled out of my pant leg and spread all over the ground. They were whispering to themselves. I cocked my head, straining to hear what they were saying. 45, 48, 51, 54. Holy moly. They were counting. Counting the BBs. Something wet dripped down my leg, and I realized that when the mason jar popped, the glass must have cut my leg. Nothing I could do about it right then. I pressed through the circle and limped a few steps beyond, stopping to cast one more look over my shoulder. They were all still there, whispering away. There were thousands of BBs in that jar. At the rate they were going, it would take forever to count them all. I found Frankie crumpled up in a ball on the slope of the hill. Timmy Carter was all the way down at the bottom. They were both out cold. But only Timmy Carter came around when I tried to wake him up. You okay, Timmy Carter? He sat up and checked his arms and legs and torso. Head hurts. I bet. That little devil kicked a field goal with you. Frankie, is she? She's fine. She's right over there. She's still knocked out, but she's okay. You're bleeding, he said, pointing at my leg. Yeah, I'm fine, though. Timmy Carter insisted on picking Frankie up and getting her off the hill. In fact, I think he intended to carry her all the way back to the house himself. But his knees buckled when he reached the bottom of the slope, and I said, Whoa there, Timmy Carter. You better put her down. She's hurt. She's going to be a lot more hurt if you drop her. He set her gently down in the grass and brushed her hair out of her eyes. You kill it? Them. You kill them? No. Why not? Didn't need to. Timmy Carter had this way of substituting silence for talking. It was a special talent, at least for someone like me. Chances were he didn't mean anything by it half the time. He was just a quiet person, but I could tell he was irritated with me. Probably felt like I was being coy. A breeze kicked up, stirring the tall grass, and I heard a bang in the distance from the direction of the church. Let's get Frankie back to the house. I'll tell you all about it on the way back. I'll take the bottom and you take the top. Took twice as long to get home as it did to get out there. Turns out carrying a 110-pound woman between the two of us wasn't as easy as I thought. I'm a thousand percent sure that Frankie's legs weigh 50 times more than her upper body. It's all about weight distribution, and Frankie had herself some powerful kickers. My leg ached with each step, and the last thing I wanted to do was carry someone through the woods, up and down hills, and across creeks for two miles. Still, I couldn't make Timmy Carter do it alone. He looked about as pale as a reaper, and we had to stop several times to give him a rest. Looked like he caught himself a case of the concussions. I went back out to First Country Baptist later that evening. The girl and all her friends were gone, and tell you the truth, I was a little disappointed. No, it wasn't that. I didn't want to kill any of them. A few hours before, when they were circled around me, blasting my body full of that tendon-tearing energy, I actually felt kind of connected to them all. I know that sounds strange, given the fact that they actually were trying to kill me, but it's true. I searched every corner of the dead church, but couldn't find any evidence that they were ever there. The only thing I found was Daddy's BBs. They were lying on the ground exactly where they'd fallen. I stared at them for a tick, wondering if I should even bother picking them up. After a while, I did, making sure to count every last one, whispering under my breath as I did so. Three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen, twenty-one.
Hey, hey, thank you for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's chapter. If you cannot wait until next week to finish the story, you can always buy it in ebook and paperback form from Amazon.com, or you can buy it directly from me, both in ebook and in paperback, a signed paperback nonetheless, uh, from my website, www.jamesnoll.net. That's www.jamesnoll.net. And if you would love to support me on Patreon, I would love you to support me on Patreon. I'm offering all kinds of cool extras, including access to bonus material, uh, the ebooks released one week at a time, the chapter at a time, uh, customized short stories. And if I can build enough of a following, I want to film a live action version of Make the Hive Great Again, one of my favorite chapters from the Hive. It's uh, at the end of the first season. It's the very last chapter of the of the first season. That would be an awesome thing to do. So if you want to visit my Patreon page, it's www.patreon.com slash madtails. That would be fantastic. And I will see you guys next week.